discussion with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolokwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. Uh, I'm only about 30 pages in, but very interesting and, of course, very funny. Trevor Noah is the host of the Daily Show um, on Comedy Central, and he's a stand-up comedian for a long time from South Africa, sharing his uh, life story. Right now it's uh, still in his childhood, but very interesting and very sad as well because he grew up in apartheid and also some very tumultuous times in South Africa, but look forward to sharing that book with you next week. Uh, So today is February 12th, and that means we're two days away from Valentine's Day, and probably if you've stepped in any... Uh, grocery store or any type of store, you, you already know that, or posts online. People are very aware of that, and it brings up lots of uh, feelings for everyone. If people are in a relationship, they might feel the pressure of what they're supposed to do for Valentine's Day. And for people who are not in a relationship, it can make them feel lots of things about not being with someone, uh, not having someone on Valentine's Day, or thinking they're supposed to have romance on that day or it's a reminder that maybe they want a relationship and they don't have one so it could bring up a lot of feelings for lots of people Uh, so I might cover a few topics on that today the first one relates to Valentine's Day itself because I've seen this become a fight or at least a discussion between couples um, especially when you have heterosexual couples and the male and the female and the male can resist Valentine's Day and and um, I kind of joke that at times they almost make it into a political issue, that it's a it's a commercialized holiday and corporations are trying to get us to spend money, and so we shouldn't spend money on Valentine's Day and give in to the, the corporate greed or the corporate agenda by spending all this extra money. The roses are more expensive, chocolates are more expensive, restaurants are overcrowded and very expensive and all those things, and so they say we shouldn't have to, to put up with all that or do that. So because of that, it's not that I don't want to be romantic, uh, it's because I think it's the wrong thing to do. So it's like they're taking a very strong stance on that. And so it's not that you necessarily have to go out on that day. But like all things, it should be something that you talk about with each other. What does it mean to each of you? I think it could be nice to have Valentine's Day, a day to, to celebrate your love and your relationship. But of course, it shouldn't be the only day where this is happening. If it is, you have a big problem. If it's only... Uh, if we're not romantic, 364 days or this year, 365 days, and then the other day we are, well, we have a, a little bit of a problem there. So what I usually tell couples, uh, in my opinion, is, okay, let's say you don't want to do Valentine's Day on February 14th. That can be okay if you both are okay with that. But I'd hope you have 10, 15 romantic days and nights at least throughout the year where you are still having those types of moments. 
So it doesn't have to be on that specific date on the calendar. But you want to make sure you have those types of moments throughout your year every uh, so often. It shouldn't be something that is so rare. And so uh, what makes it hard for people to celebrate these things and to have these moments, there could be a, a lot of things. One is that people have a hard time being vulnerable in expressing their love. And so this is more common among males because there's a lot of pressure for them not to be vulnerable and to be tough and to be uh, to not be quote-unquote soft by being lovey-dovey and expressing their feelings so they can get very uncomfortable with that. So when they feel that pressure that, okay, on this day, I have to all of a sudden become romantic and it's something that feels so wrong or unnatural to me, that could contribute to the anger that they feel about, okay, why do, why do I have to do this because, you know, it's now this commercialized holiday. Because expressing that tenderness and that love is hard for them on any day. And so they don't like to feel pressured into doing that thing that doesn't feel good and right to them. So if you're feeling some resistance about Valentine's Day, and this is for people who are in relationships, try to think of what it really is. Yes, it could feel uh, unfair that corporations make money off of these kinds of holidays or they even promote them or it becomes something, just like all the other holidays, uh, Christmas and Halloween and Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving becomes basically a Black Friday uh, weekend. So all these things are very commercialized. That's a part of, unfortunately, the culture uh, we live in uh, here in the United States and in many other countries. But what is it really for you? What is making it so hard for you to express that to your partner? Because that is very important, how you express your love to your partner. And, and later in the show, I'll probably talk about the five love languages and different aspects related to that. But really, you have to see, is it something I don't do well? Um, some people, you know, there's a joke uh, about saying I love you, where they ask the man, do you say I love you? And the wife asks, he says, I told you on our wedding day, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. So basically, it's saying that I don't need to express it again because I've already told you, but we know that love is something that we want to feel uh, get expressed. And I know people can say that if you are confident in your love and you really believe in it, you don't need to see those expressions. But that's not really how love works because actually when you love someone or something, you continuously show your love for it. If you really feel love for it, it's hard for you not to show that love. And so what we actually see in a lot of different ways is people have love blocks, things that block their love from coming out. Because if you truly love your partner, it should be something that you want to express to them. And so for Valentine's Day, talk about what you want to do. Probably if it's today, maybe it's already too late, but from beforehand, have a conversation. What does it mean for you? For someone, it might mean a lot. They like the experience. Maybe they even think it's cheesy, but they still like it and they want to have a special Valentine's Day. For you, maybe it doesn't feel good or you have other feelings and you you have to talk about it. So a lot of, like many things, or basically everything in the relationship, it's something that you discuss with one another to talk about that. Now, also another note on romance. So very often when we think of romance, just those words we think of, you know, gifts and flowers and jewelry and uh, lavish vacations and candlelight dinners and all those types of things, which are fine and can be a big part of what can feel romantic to you um, and can give you a good feeling. But very often what people 
realize in a romance of an actual relationship, what keeps that romance alive is all the little things that you do for one another, the small gestures that are constantly there, not the once every whatever, so often it is week, month, couple times a year, that you do something grand. And we think when we look at movies or hear songs or maybe poetry, we think that that's what romance is, are these big, huge moments. Those can be really nice and can be meaningful. But what you need to have is more of foundation of romantic moments that are small things. Um, I think John Gotten calls them turning towards one another, something like that. But basically these small steps you take of being thoughtful, remembering that your partner has a big meeting and giving them a call or a text before, saying I love you in a small moment, doing small gestures, small actions for each other that let the other person know I'm thinking about you, I care about you, I love you. And to me, those grand gestures, if you kind of think of your love as a building, those are kind of like the penthouse and they can be really nice and fancy and great and you can like them and want to be in them sometimes. But if there isn't a foundation underneath, all the floors underneath that penthouse, it doesn't really matter for much and eventually it kind of crumbles. And so for a lot of people, that's how they think romance works is, okay, I'm not going to be very nice to my partner. Then every so often I buy them a really expensive gift and it makes up for all the in-between. Or even I treat them poorly at times. We see this happen um, where someone does something wrong to their partner and they buy them a gift publicly to show that now we're okay. But usually uh, most people would trade that gift in for the decent respect and love that they want from their partner, treating them kindly, being faithful, uh, doing the things that they want from them in the relationship rather than trying to make up for it in a way buying the love and the romance. It doesn't quite work. Maybe someone will accept it because that's all they have at that point. But it's not really what romance is all about and what we see keeps the flame alive. A lot of times people talk about passion and how do we keep it alive and they think it's going to be these grand gestures. But really what's going to keep your relationship going is the quality of the friendship that you have in that relationship, meaning all the, the ways you connect to each other, how connected you feel, and the steps you make every day, every week, every month to maintain that connection. It's not that just you do nothing, 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 and then some super romantic trip to Paris and all of a sudden um, you're back in love. That could happen, and that's actually what people do, and for a moment they feel it, but it fades away again if there's nothing there. You have to keep that flame alive. And so when I talk about passion, I sometimes say, you know, we compare it to a flame, but we can't complain about the flame going out if we're not tending to the fire. If you're not constantly being aware of how the relationship is doing, how is it feeling? Are you feeling good? Is your partner feeling good? Are you feeling connected? Is there warmth? Is there everything that you want and need in that relationship? Then of course the fire is going to go out because you're not paying attention to it. And you might go have this lavish vacation or romantic dinner and that might be like a big firework some kind of explosion but it doesn't maintain a fire it just burns out quickly so that can be good to reignite the flame but if you don't keep tending to it it's not going to last very long so valentine's day can be a beautiful day to celebrate your love give each other gifts go to dinner whatever it is you want to do and it shouldn't make or break your relationship either because it could be a nice night, but it's one night out of the year. And so if that's the only night where you're being romantic and expressing your care for each other, 
then you you know have huge problems whether or not you celebrate it that day either. So if it's either one or zero, you're already in trouble. And so we have to make sure that romance is something that we're paying attention to all the time. It could be gifts, it could be small gestures, could be lots of things, but it can't be one night out of the year. And so since I mentioned gifts and gestures, and I talked about the love languages before, what I'll talk about in the next segment is how we express love to one another. Because yes, on a day like Valentine's Day, the emphasis is on the big romantic things that we think of, like gifts, flowers, chocolate, whatever else, jewelry that you might think about. But that's just one form or one way that love can be expressed and that our partner can feel loved by us. And if we don't pay attention to and recognize what it is that makes them feel loved, we might make a lot of effort into the relationship and trying to make them feel good, but it might not go very far. So Valentine's Day is two days away. Don't put so much pressure on it, but as always, make sure you and your partner talk about what you want, what it means to you and why, and hopefully you come to some kind of agreement that makes sense. But also, whether or not and whatever you do on Valentine's Day, it's not going to be enough to sustain your relationship if you're both not focused on the romance and passion staying alive throughout the year. Let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing on the theme of Valentine's Day and love and romance, um, as I mentioned before the break, wanted to talk about the five love languages, which is uh, one of the more uh, well-known books on relationships uh, by Gary Chapman. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, Dr. Chapman. And um, it's a it's a good book, but uh, to be honest, you also can just look on it online, and I'll talk about it today as well, uh, to get the basic concept. But he talks about in that book how uh, we all have what you can call a love tank, which needs to get filled up, similar to a gas tank, which you fill up, but it gets on empty, and so it needs to get filled up again. So as I mentioned in the previous break uh, or the previous segment, just because you've expressed your love or you've shown that love, it doesn't mean you're done. It's something that we do need to continue to do to continue to express that love to our partner and make sure they feel loved and appreciated by us. Um, but he says that there are different languages of love. So um, different ways of expressing love and feeling love that are not all the same and people can be different in which languages they prefer and in a way which languages we can even say they understand since we're using the word languages. And the reason why languages, it can work in many different uh, ways of an analogy, but one of them is that if I tell you I love you in a language you don't know, you won't understand that I'm saying I love you. So if I show love in a language that is not one that resonates with you, one that you understand, one that you take in, you won't feel very loved. And so it's not as black and white as um, languages that you won't understand at all, let's say, but it does uh, signify how important it is to express that love in a way that the person can take in that feels good to them that they can actually experience. And so uh, this actually happens in relationships where a partner might feel like they're showing so much love to their loved one, but the partner doesn't feel very loved because the way love is being shown is not in their own love language. So you might think I'm doing all these nice things for you, but if that person doesn't really think much about that as something of showing love and they're wanting, let's say, for you to say nice things to them and express it verbally, well, then you might end up with one partner thinking they're showing a lot of love while the other one feels not loved at all. And this is a lot of times what you see in relationships is that people 
will think they are showing a lot of love, but the partner might not be feeling it. And that's why we have to have these conversations to better understand each other. Um, now, you can go online and take very brief tests on the five love languages. Um, usually, if you do it, you can use your email and do one test where it'll give you a free profile and then it'll tell you which love languages are the strongest for you, which ones are your primary ones. Some people have a very clear primary one. Sometimes people have more, uh, two or three that are very high, but pretty close in score. But anyway, it gives you some kind of a, a profile that you can see. And this is not some kind of test that you should think is so set in stone, like you're going to know yourself for sure. Uh, I've taken the tests several times over the years, and sometimes my scores are a little bit different. Of course, I could be changing too. But it, it's a test that, of course, is not going to have some very uh, high test, retest, reliability, or very rigorous. It's something that you take in about 10, 15 minutes. But it could give you a good idea. And once I go over the five lo love languages, you might already know yourself and your partner, or you might think, what are your love languages, but it could be good to take it and then actually exchange your profiles or share them with each other and talk about um, what are your primary love languages and communicate about that. But let me go over the five uh, languages with you. So the first one uh, is words of affirmation. And so this is just like it sounds, saying nice things to each other. So giving compliments, that could be compliments out of nowhere, uh, expressing your love in words, but for people that words of affirmation is very important, they want to hear it for them. It matters. The words do matter. So you might think actions speak louder than words, which is true in a lot of ways. For people um, that love to get loved in, with words of affirmation, they actually like the words themselves too. So it's not just about actions for them. The words really matter and they need to hear it from you. It means they need to hear it often. Now, again, here's the thing where I've worked with couples where for one of them, um, compliments mean a lot and the other one doesn't really care. And so the person is giving them lots of compliments and the other one doesn't seem to really take them in because to them that doesn't mean very much. And so this is where we could be missing each other because of having these different uh, love languages. The second one, now this is where the actions speak louder than words. It's acts of service. So this is someone who actually likes um, for you to do things for them. So you go pick up their dry cleaning. That feels really good or help them out with some chores or pick up a, a task that they needed to do for them, this will feel very good. And unless you do those things, they might not feel very loved. They want to see the actions that you take. So for this person, it's the, the service that you do as far as the actions you do that makes them feel loved. If you don't do it, they might not feel like you really care about them. Uh, the third one is receiving gifts. And of course, this can be really nice, expensive gifts. Um, most people will like that no matter what. But even more, it's about the thought in the gifts. So it's that they know you were thinking of them or uh, you paid attention to something they mentioned they liked. And so later on, you got them a gift related to that. So it's more about the thought and showing that you think about them and even small surprises like bringing home their favorite, um, you know, cookie or their favorite coffee or their favorite something or a movie or getting them tickets to a show, you know, they'll like, they want you to show them the thought in your gifts that you're thinking about them and you know what they like and receiving these small gifts means a lot for them. The fourth one is quality time. And so um, emphasis on the word quality because it usually means people who want to spend, have their undivided attention from their partner. Uh, it could be watching a movie, but actually a lot of times it's just the two people looking at each other, talking, 
sharing a coffee or a meal together, but it's a time when it's just them and not distractions. So sometimes you'll see couples and they'll say, oh, we spend so much time together. But actually the partner feels empty because the time they're spending together is, for example, just watching TV or both people are on their phones and they're, they're sitting together. So they're next to each other. Technically, they're spending time together in a way, but it's not quality time in the sense that they're really engaged with one another. So if you are spending time, but it's not quality time and a partner really needs that to feel loved, they're going to feel empty in that sense that they won't feel connected to you. And the fifth love language is physical touch. Now, of course, this can include sexual touch, and that can be important for someone, but it also includes non-sexual touching. So people who feel loved through physical touch, even a hug or just holding hands or cuddling might be something that makes them feel loved by their partner, and they might feel like they need that. If they don't get that, um, they won't feel very loved by their partner. And so they'll, they'll maybe express that they want more of that. So those are the five love languages. As you heard them, you might realize that some of them are more meaningful for you. Some are not. And it's kind of funny when you talk to people about these, because some of the times they can almost be surprised that why would someone care so much about this one or that one? Cause it's not their love language. Um, but for other people, it's exactly the opposite. They might say, well, who cares about a compliment? And someone else might say, well, who cares if someone picks up your dry cleaning? Now, that being said, um, even if we look at what's your primary love language and the way you feel loved, basically everyone will feel good about any of them. So if words of affirmation is your fifth most strong love language, you still won't dislike a compliment from your partner. It just might not mean as much to you as someone who it's their primary language. So all of them will feel good to everyone and probably, uh, or not probably, you should be in the course of a relationship doing all five of these things for each other. But what you'll find is that some will be more meaningful to your partner uh, than they will be to you. And that's where the uh, difficulties can arise when there's mismatches. Because usually what we do is we love people in a way that we think we would feel loved. That's usually what we do. So if I think uh, I really like um, acts of service, that's what I'm going to do for my loved one. And if they like words, they might say words to me to make me feel loved, but we might be missing each other. So there's a few ways you can figure out what your partner's love language is. Of course, taking the test would be a good one and talking about it. But even before that, you might recognize a few things. One is how do they tend to show love? If you realize, oh, you know, even with me and with all her family or his family, they're giving lots of compliments. That probably means words of affirmation is important for them to feel loved. So they're trying to show love in that way. So that's one of the things they can do. Another one is, of course, what they might complain about. So they might make it more clear of why don't you um, spend more quality time with me? Why don't you touch me more? So they'll express what it is that they aren't getting and they'll let you know. And so you need to talk about these things to make sure you're expressing love in a way that your partner can take in so that they do feel loved by you. And it can feel unnatural for you or you might not be used to it because if you don't think the words are very important, it might seem strange. Well, why am I saying these things? And at the beginning, when we try to change any behavior, it could feel artificial or feel a little bit fake. So it's like, okay, I know that she wants me to do uh, small tasks for her. So I'm going to go pick up some groceries or I'm going to go wash the dishes, but she knows I'm doing it because now she told me it's important. And yet yeah, at the beginning, it might feel a little bit that way, but over time, it becomes more natural and normal and the person will feel loved and internalize that love from you and you can keep their love tank full. 
And related to that love tank, you don't have to use that analogy. I, I always tell couples to have conversations about how they're feeling in the relationship. Um, now, most couples very much avoid these kinds of conversations. Most couples don't talk about these things and just kind of go forward. And until big issues arise or something is going on or they have a fight, then they talk about those things. But there isn't a checking in on the relationship. And I think this is really a problem when we think about what a relationship is. Uh, it's not just you two are together. In essence, your relationship is this living thing that you're creating together. It's something real. Um, what I tell couples before they have kids is always keep in mind your marriage is your first child. Think of it that way, that you always have to give time and attention to your child, see how it's doing, make sure it's okay. You can't just ignore your relationship and think it's going to be fine, which is what a lot of couples end up doing when they have kids. And of course, it's very challenging to find that time, but you have to find that time or else like anything we don't tend to, it begins to wither and die. And so if we don't consider it this living, breathing thing in a way that we're creating together, you won't actually be able to keep it as strong and keep it alive the way that you would like to or that you ideally would want to have. So we have to ask each other how we're feeling. And this, of course, is a very uncomfortable conversation. People avoid it because we're a little bit afraid of what our partner might say. What if your partner says, oh, you know what, I'm actually not very happy about this. Or I feel like we're not doing enough of that. Or you're not giving me enough love in this way or that way. These conversations don't feel very good uh, or can be uncomfortable and people tend to avoid them because we, we don't feel good if we're told we're not doing something or where we feel like we're failing in some way. People take it personally. But if we change the mindset from we're blaming each other or trying to pick fights or point faults at one another and rather look at it in a different way, we're trying to actually improve our relationship, keep it okay. It's like a checkup. When you go to the dentist and they check your teeth, you're seeing what's going on. You don't say, I don't want to take x-rays or I want you to check because maybe you'll find something bad. You want to know what's going on um, because, well, maybe you'll find out things are fine and that's great. But then if they're not, and there are some small problems, you want to deal with them before they become bigger problems. And that's what happens in anything, but also in relationships. Issues start to come up. Someone feels unhappy about something. Resentment is there and kind of like something in your teeth. If you don't deal with it, that infection or that cavity or whatever it is starts to grow and it could become bigger and stronger and worse until a point where you can't do anything about it. And this is what couples do. There's something they're not happy about and they don't talk about it and it just gets worse. And then it might get to the point where they explode or they blow up or they're so unhappy that they end the relationship or the relationship is irreparable because things have gotten too bad. There's too much distance, too much uh, conflict, uh, lack of connection. The fire is out, the flame is gone and they end the relationship. So I don't say have these conversations because I want people to have uncomfortable conversations. Um, but I say that because like a lot of uncomfortable conversations, they're what we need to do in order to make sure problems don't get worse or to see what's going on. And even we should have the desire as a partner to love our partner in a way that feels good to them, to try our best to be loving to them, that we would want our partner to go to sleep feeling loved by us, feeling that we care about them. And if that's not there, we should want to make it better. It doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on you, meaning you're a bad person or a bad partner. Sometimes 
as I was talking about the love languages, you're expressing things in a way that they don't really take in, or there's something you're not giving them that you don't even realize they want. And that's making them feel unhappy. But if you talk about it and they let you know, this is actually really important to me, you can say, wow, I didn't even know, or you didn't realize how important it was to them or that this was missing for them. Um, obviously, the more similar you are with your partner, that's good. But no matter what, you're going to be different in a lot of ways too. So there could be ways that you think the relationship should look or things should be going on in your relationship that your partner might feel differently about. And until you talk about them, you won't really know. So we can take the love languages test. I think it's a good idea. Share that with each other and let that actually open up a conversation of talking about how you feel loved, how much love you're getting from your partner, what you want more of, and then also allow that to become part of a regular conversation or conversations that you have about checking in with the relationship and seeing how you're both doing, how you're feeling in the different aspects of the relationship. Because if we don't tend to the relationship, we can't be surprised if it withers and dies over time. We have to keep keeping it alive. We have to put that time and energy to make sure it stays healthy and strong. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today's show talking about love because Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And so in this segment, I wanted to talk about one of the topics that people always wonder when it comes to long-term relationships, which is can love last? Can the passion still stay in a relationship over the years? And most people uh, probably listening will be thinking, yes, you can think in an ideal way or in a fantasy way that love lasts forever, but it doesn't. And uh, eventually you're going to get bored of each other. And there's kind of the stereotypical uh, married couple who they're talking to the single person and just letting them know, you know what, it's going to be boring or you just enjoy your life while you're single because it's going to get boring once you're married. And we've in some ways accepted this as a reality that it's just going to be that way, that you can't stay in love with each other and we should just accept that. And unfortunately, when we think of things in this way, when something becomes almost like common knowledge, common sense, it affects how we act. So if you're told that it's going to get boring, you think, okay, it has to get boring and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, not realizing that actually maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Many people might experience it, but it doesn't mean love has to get boring. And there's lots of things you can do to make that happen. Now, first of all, even of this, can it happen? Uh, actually, before I even get into anything, I want to mention a book, Can Love Last by Stephen Mitchell. Uh, I love that book. Um, it really is a great exploration of looking at the romantic love and can it last and um, a lot of the factors that play in and I will talk a bit about some of the things he shares and a lot of what I think about it will be influenced by that book as well. Um, but so people will ask if it can, is even possible, and that's the title of a book, can. Uh, but research has shown that when we measure the brains of people who uh, are newly in love and people who have are still in love and say they're very strongly in love after even, let's say, 20 years, um, they find that actually their brains can look very similar. Now, I mentioned on Monday's show how we have to be 
wary sometimes of neuroscience research to make sure the interpretations that are being made are accurate or that we really can draw those types of conclusions or beliefs. Um, but there's a lot of research showing that, that we can actually, um, or at least I know of this one study that was showing that you can still see a similar pattern in the brain of people who claim to be in love decades later compared to newly uh, people who are newly in love. And so that's the that's the answer to the can part. So can it happen? It seems definitely yes. Even the brain is showing us that. And now someone might hear that and think, oh gosh, to be madly in love after 20 years, those couples are so lucky. Um, but really luck has nothing to do with it. And it's like a lot of things where we like to say that someone is lucky or um, it's because of their innate talent or ability uh, that we try to let ourselves off the hook. So we might think um, because it's skill and be or because it's a talent, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just something they have and I don't. Oh, they're still love? It's because they're lucky and for some reason they're still madly in love. They probably picked the right person or something happened, but it's just didn't happen for me and happened for them because they're lucky and I was unlucky. But it's not about luck. It's what they're doing. And as I've mentioned a few times today already, your relationship is something alive. If you don't keep it alive, yes, of course, it's going to die. If you don't put any effort in keeping the flame hot, keep the flame going, it's going to burn out. We, ha we, we shouldn't expect otherwise. It's like if you uh, exercise and get your body in shape, and then you say, okay, I'm in shape, it feels good, and then you do nothing for your body, you eat bad, you don't work out, and then you're disappointed that you get out of shape. Well, of course, if you don't tend to it, if you don't keep making sure it stays healthy and strong, your body's going to get out of shape, and similarly, your relationship is going to get weak if you don't tend to it. We shouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, so we have to also take away this notion that um, love is some kind of fairy tale and um, my favorite book of all time, I mentioned Can Love Last by Stephen Mitchell. That's a, a great one, but probably my favorite book of all time is The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. And he talks about one of the myths we have in modern day romance uh, or love, which is that the whole problem or the big issue in love is finding the right person to love, the right object to love. And once we find that person, then it's happily ever after and all the fairy tale stuff comes true. So we, we think there's this overemphasis on just the object to the person being the only issue. And of course, who you choose is very important and you should take it very seriously in determining who you choose as a long-term partner. So it's not saying that just anyone can be and the object doesn't matter. But this mindset that once I pick the right partner, everything else is going to be easy and the love will always last because I've picked the right partner is wrong and also very dangerous. Because what happens is that once you are with that person and the love doesn't feel the same because you think just naturally it should always feel the same, you think, oh, I guess I was wrong. This person wasn't the right person for me, the right partner for me. I made a mistake. I thought this was my happily ever after and it's not. So it's a mistake rather than realizing this is how a relationship goes if I don't do things to keep it strong and to keep the love alive. So it's not the person necessarily is the wrong partner. It's that I have the wrong mindset about a relationship that if I pick the right partner, it's going to be happily ever after. When in fact, I need to make sure I put effort into the relationship as well to keep that love alive. Now, um, in Can Love Last, Stephen Mitchell talks about uh, how love 
tends to proceed and what might lead to this state of being boring. Now, when you first meet someone, there is a certain excitement that you can't recreate. And part of that excitement is that you don't really know each other yet. And that not knowing part creates some excitement, some uncertainty, um, some mystery that is exciting. Now, should there always be some level of mystery? Maybe, but some people take this too far and they think we should never know each other very well because we have to keep the mystery alive. And in my opinion, you'll never fully know someone anyway, which is something I'll get to. So I don't think it's something you have to be too worried about, that you shouldn't let each other know or let each other into each other's lives because you need to keep that mystery alive. But it, no matter what, when you first meet someone, so much is a mystery. Who they are, what they've gone through, how they're going to respond in different ways, uh, how they do so many different things, you, have, you don't know. And that excitement... Um, makes you feel very passionate once there's that att mutual attraction. Uh, on top of it, you're very excited about what, what else is there, who is this person, I wonder what he's like this way, I wonder what she is like in that way. And so you are very excited. But once you start to get to know each other over time, this can start to change. Now, when you don't know something or know someone, that is exciting, but also there is an instability there because you don't know well, is this person, can I trust them? Will they be there? Do I know what they're going to do? That unpredictability can create an anxiety where it's a little bit scary. And so we, in a way, like the stability we start to get also when we get to know someone, that I know how they are, who they are, how they're going to respond. I can maybe predict how they're going to respond or react to different things. And this gives us a comfort that I know what's going to happen. And that stability is something that feels very good. And so what some people do or most couples do when we look at the boring that starts to develop in a relationship is that they completely trade that unknowing, that excitement, that passion for stability. And they lie to themselves and in a way lie to each other and say, I fully know this person now. There's nothing new about them or nothing exciting, and they can't even change. They're just going to be exactly what they were. And so, of course, that becomes boring because there's nothing new to understand or we think we know them completely. And so couples go and get into their routines. Even their sex can become very routine. They have it the same way every time. Or actually a sexual relationship should be involving some level of spontaneity. It should be alive. There should be some level of expressing things and not just falling into a routine. But we try to take away all the uncertainty in the relationship in every aspect because we want to just feel stable and safe. Because I know you are here and you're going to be exactly here this way, I can feel safe. But safe also feels boring because I don't actually have a, a connection with something that is alive. And so Rather than thinking we know our partner fully, which really is um, not true, it's just a, a delusion that we have that we're going to fully know someone or an illusion that we fully know someone, we have to recognize that I will never fully know this person. Do I know them well in a lot of ways? Of course, if you're spending a lot of time with someone, you will get to know them. But recognizing like just, you, just like you won't fully know yourself ever, you're always in that journey of self-discovery. There's no way for you to fully know this other person as well. And so we can recognize that as much as you do know them, because they are 
complex and complicated as we all are, there's always going to be more for you to know and learn. And even if you know them fully, which you're not going to 100% know someone, but let's say very well, people change and evolve over time too. And so you continue to get to know them as they grow and evolve and change. But this is another way that we try to make things boring. We oftentimes, as much as we might say in our wedding vows, we want to help each other grow throughout our relationship because that growth means change. That change means uncertainty. We oftentimes don't want our partners to change and grow. We want to keep them the same. So we just say, look, you just sit and be this blob on the couch. I'm going to be a blob on the other couch. And at least we know neither one of us has anything to worry about. And let's just live as these two blobs. And so it's safe and you might not worry about very much, but you also won't feel very passionate. You won't feel very alive. When we talk about two blobs, it's not really like two living things interacting. There's not much there. So of course it's going to be boring. But when we realize we aren't these blobs, we are these very alive things, there is things about each other to learn and to grow. And we have to actually trade some of that stability for some of that passion. We can actually keep that love alive. And so we have to balance this, uh, these two uh, forces of stability and passion of not knowing the person fully or still understanding them or recognizing there's more to them than we know with also the stability of feeling that we will have each other and be together and are committed to one another as well. And in a way to me, that commitment of marriage, of course, when people say till death do us part, people get divorced. We know that happens. So it's not that we're saying literally there's no way this can th this thing can end, but we are giving a certain commitment to one another that we will work on things. There will be space for things not to be perfect or for us both to slip up uh, or deal with the different challenges that come up in our relationship, which allows for us to have more space to not be as afraid. So we give each other a little bit of that stability too. So again, it's always this interplay. I think people sometimes want a final solution to things. Okay, I want to just feel like I have you and that's it. And I don't have to think about anything else again. But that's not how things work. Things are always going to be a balancing act in a way where you're trying to keep the passion alive while also having stability. You want to feel connected to each other, but you also need some space. That's actually another big aspect of relationships. I was mentioning that uh, we get to know each other and we think we fully know one another, which I think never really happens. But sometimes couples don't give each other space to be their own person. And this is another element of we don't want to feel that space because that might feel scary that we might lose each other. So let's just smother each other. And using the analogy of the fire, of course, you need closeness because that closeness creates the warmth that keeps the flame alive. But a flame also needs oxygen. And if you're too close and smothering each other, you smother that fire too. And that flame goes out. So a lot of couples, they stop being two people who are in love and creating love together. They try to become one person because when you're one and you mold together or bond together in that way, there is no fear of separation anymore because you're one thing. One thing can't be separated from itself. And so we again lose that excitement of being two dynamic people who are interacting with each other and become one thing. And one thing is safe. One thing can never be separated. So we won't be alone, but we don't have that excitement either. So maintaining that balance of closeness and space is also very important. And so we recognize that 
in a relationship, there aren't these easy solutions to always do this or always do that because there are these balancing acts that we have to do to keep the passion alive, to keep the closeness, but then also maintain enough space where we can feel okay. And these things don't always go smoothly. Sometimes one partner wants more space than the other one. Sometimes the roles can reverse at a certain time. Sometimes you won't be on the same page. Sometimes you will be. You both will want some space and that's good. But sometimes one partner wants to be close and be connected and the other one wants more than anything just to be alone. And these are the types of dynamics that come up in a real relationship that are challenges. It's not that once you realize these concepts, it's all going to work out smoothly. You're always going to have these bumps. Things will come up. You won't be on the same page exactly. But if you have the right mindset, you're more likely to be able to handle all these various challenges that arise. You'll realize that it's going to be a challenge, the whole relationship. It's not like once you've gone to a certain place, you never have to think about things again. There will always be these dynamics at play underneath the relationship and between you and your partner that you'll have to maintain and balance. Let's go to another commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So today's episode focusing on love and romantic relationships with Valentine's Day around the corner. Don't mean to keep reminding people if they don't want to be reminded, but well, there it is. Um, I did mention the book, The Art of Loving, my favorite book. Um, I think in the last segment I said probably my favorite book, and I'm saying it is. But uh, it is my favorite book by one of my favorite thinkers, Eric Fromm. Um, and I mentioned one of the things he talks about in the, in the book is that we think about the problem of love or when it comes to romance is just finding the right object or person to love. And the whole concept of the book, the art of loving is that we should look at love as an art. So, which that means we have to study it and we have to practice it in order to get good at it or become better at it. And this might seem um, a little bit confusing to some people. They think, well, we just love. Loving is something natural or normal. And, of course, some of that is true, showing love and uh, being with each other and expressing feelings can in some ways be natural, but we all need to work on it. And, and on top of that, um, it relates to, of course, feeling attracted to one another is very natural. You don't have to uh, study something to feel that attraction. We're going to be attracted, and there's a tendency for almost everyone to want to be with someone and connect with someone. So those parts are natural, but then what people do is they think, well, because that part is natural, then being good at being in a relationship and being loving it should also be natural. Uh, to me, it's the same thing when we look at parenting. The desire to be a parent is very natural and creating a baby is very natural, but being a good parent is not just something we're all naturally good at. Actually, if anything, because of what we've experienced ourselves and because there's a lot of knowledge that will help us be better at it, we're naturally not very good at being parents, especially in the long term. Sometimes with a baby, you might respond very well, but especially as they get older, you're not going to know uh, what to do. And even with the, the early days, there's a lot of information that can help you do that better. So the desire to be in a relationship is very natural. Feeling attraction, very natural. But being good in a relationship is not something that we should think we're naturally good at. So in the art of loving, it's taking this concept of focusing on yourself as someone in the relationship or someone who needs to increase and improve your own capacity to love, something we don't think much about. 
Because if you ask most people who are single, the issue they're focused on almost solely is finding someone, which is important. Obviously, you need to have someone to love to be in a relationship with. But very seldom do we think of, okay, how am I working on myself or making sure I've developed my own capacity to be a good loving partner in a relationship? What do I need to do with me? It's not just, again, about finding Prince Charming or Princess Charming and then the rest is happily ever after. It's about creating a good relationship. So I wanted to share some thoughts on things you can do to also focus on your own side of things. So to begin with, reading some of these books that I've mentioned today, Can Love Last, The Art of Loving, and there's many others on relationships and love um, that can be helpful to study it. Again, if we look at it as an art, you need to put time into understanding it better, understanding the concepts, themes, science, theories, knowledge in that are related to that. So we have to take that part seriously. But also, we have to look at ourselves. And it's not just to make us better in relationships, but in general, we should understand ourselves. Who am I? What are my strengths and weaknesses? as a person, and especially what are my strengths and weaknesses when it comes to how I relate to people. So not just, you know, I'm, I'm good at PowerPoint or Excel, but am I sensitive in these ways? Can I be careless? Can I be insensitive? Can I focus too much on myself? Can I focus too much actually on the other person and neglect myself? Um, understanding ourselves is going to be a key component in being able to create a good relationship with someone. Um, First of all, just in being in a relationship, but even before that, in picking a good and suitable partner. So we have to look back at our past, as we always do. Look at our own parents. What kind of relationship did they have? What did that teach me about love um, in good ways and also very often in bad? What did I see them do that maybe scared me? to be in a relationship or what did I see them do that actually I want and would want to have in my own life. We very much get impacted by this. And this is another reminder to parents as to why um, I always say parenting is not just about your relationship with your children, but also your relationship with your partner because they see that and that has a big impact on them first and how they just feel in the home. If there's a lot of fighting, of course, that's going to be really bad. But also if you have a very cold marriage, your kids are going to feel that as well. It creates a certain environment in the home. And also it gives them a model that's really the first up-close model. They're going to see other families and they'll see things in the media, but their biggest exposure to what a marriage looks like is the one they have inside of their own home. So you have to think about what am I modeling for them and how we treat one another, uh, how we work on the marriage, how we express love, all those things. Your kids are going to see that. And unfortunately, they're going to take that in as some kind of given that this is what relationships are like. A lot of times people will, uh, in therapy, share, you know, I, I saw what my mom and dad were like, and I never wanted to have that. So I think I never wanted to get married because I thought that's what it is. You're just with someone who complains with you all the time, or you have these really ugly fights, or you're just cold and never talk to each other. And so it gives them this deep message about what they should expect and accept about marriage and maybe makes them not want to get married. So you as an individual have to think about that. What did I learn about love and marriage from my parents and what I experienced? How is that affecting me? And then, of course, your relationships with your parents can affect that too. It's cheesy to talk about daddy issues and mommy issues, 
Um, but they affect us. How you're related to the males and females in your life will have a big impact on what you're seeking out. Ideally, if you had a fairly nice childhood, um, which maybe none of us exactly had, you won't have those types of issues to worry about. But really what you should think about are what are the issues I have? We all have mommy issues and daddy issues to a degree. So to think some people have them and some people don't is a way of kind of judging some people and really not being realistic about ourselves. Yeah, they can be in different degrees, but we should think what are the issues I have related to my parents and what I have experienced with them that affect me and what I'm looking for and how I feel in relationships. Now, a big one for me when it comes to understanding ourselves in relationships is looking at your fear of intimacy. And this is another thing that it, we sometimes talk about it in a black and white way of, oh, you have a fear of intimacy as if some people have it and some don't. But really fear of intimacy is something we all have to different degrees. Everyone at some level is a little bit afraid of intimacy by the sense that intimacy always has some level of risk. So it's another one of those paradoxes or enigmas that we have to balance that of course we all desire closeness we all want to feel connected but at the same time when we get close and get connected it can open us up to get hurt in various ways first we can get hurt just because the relationship might end um, by some outside force something happens to that person let's say so that can be scary so for example if a person has a mother or father who died or because of divorce or separation they lost to them that loss of that relationship can be very scary and make them feel even more afraid of losing someone. So getting close to someone might be scary for them because they're afraid that people leave, the important people in your life go away somehow. And so it's scary to open yourself up. So to be vulnerable and to be close to someone, we have to recognize there always is some level of risk and we have to be able to accept that risk, but we also have to try to understand ourselves and how do we assess that risk? Like any type of risk assessment, some people place too much weight in the likelihood that it's going to happen. So for some people, it could feel inevitable that I'm going to get hurt by this person, that they're either going to go or hurt me in some way. And that can be very scary. Or the cost we can also miscalculate. We think it's so painful. So if I get hurt, I'm not going to be able to survive it. And sometimes it can feel like death, especially if Let's say the person you lost in your life was a parent and you were dependent on that person when you were a kid or felt so dependent. When you lose them, it can feel like you're dying as if you're not going to survive. And so some people have that feeling when it comes to relationships, that there's this fear of if I enter it and I get close and I actually let myself connect, um, I can risk so much that pain will be too much. And so we have to look at ourselves and how afraid are you? Of that some people are relatively unafraid they feel pretty okay about it and they take that risk and they're not so um, afraid that things will go wrong and they think that they can handle it and some people can be on the other extreme and oftentimes um, when you are afraid of intimacy of being close this doesn't mean that you just sit in a room all day because I think when we hear fear of intimacy we think that means that people have a very strong fear of intimacy they're just not getting close to anyone in any way but actually oftentimes these people will enter a relationship so think about yourself but they enter relationships knowing they're going to end or they enter a relationship and never let themselves get very close to the partner in a real emotional way they might even 
marry the person. You can be married and still have a strong fear of intimacy, but it means that you won't allow yourself to be vulnerable and to really give yourself to this person. And it can show up in a lot of ways. So one, entering relationships that the person knows will end or work, not work out in some way. Two, being with someone, but even not being fully committed to them. So it's interesting that um, we often think of, in a stereotypical way, the male who is cheating on their wife with multiple people. And even in some toxic masculine type of ways, this can be seen as a very strong manly thing. He's such a man, he's with many women and not just with his partner. But really, if we look at what's underneath this most of the time is this fear of giving themselves fully to one person, of giving someone the power to hurt them. Because if you fully are with one person and that person rejects you or leaves or something happens, you might feel devastated. But if you never fully give yourself to them and you also have other people, well, then no one person will have this kind of power over you. So it's in a way trying to not give that power away and to keep that control. Okay, so their wife leaves, they probably won't feel very good, but they have these other people and they weren't really fully committed to this relationship ever to begin with. So there's not so much to lose. And so in a relationship, like in many things, you get what you give. If you don't give yourself fully, you can't get so much from the relationship. If you don't give yourself fully to your partner, trust them, and give them your whole heart and, and uh, try to protect and take care of their heart as well, well, then you won't actually get so much closeness and goodness in the relationship. So the fear of intimacy can show up in lots of different ways. It doesn't just mean people are alone. Actually, in a way, we can think of it as an analogy that because people don't want to be alone, when people have this fear of intimacy, it's like they have this sweet spot where they can have relationships, meaning... They don't want to be alone, so they don't want to be very far apart, and they don't want to be super close either, but they always keep relationships where there's a little bit of space. They maybe have a, a way out or a foot out the door, or they don't fully commit to it, and that's in a way where they feel good. When there's a push for things to get more close, they freak out and go the other way or pull away. Um, but when they're fully alone, they actually might not want that either. And so that can seem like a paradox too. If someone has a fear of intimacy, why wouldn't they want their partner to leave? Well, they're also very afraid of being alone. Even that could be where their fear of intimacy comes from, of being abandoned or being left alone. So they might actually get terrified when you're going to leave. And then when you're trying to get close to them, they try to stop that too. And people can feel very confused by this dance. Okay, you're pushing me away, but then when I want to go away, you pull me back. And sometimes we think it's so oh, because people like to play games or they like to uh, have what they can't have or things like that. And there could be some of that, but sometimes it's something more intense than that. There's a fear of being alone and a fear of being too close. And so I have to find this middle ground where I don't lose you completely, but I also don't connect to you completely either. And so for another partner who maybe wants to have that connection, there can be this confusion and really can be dizzying of, okay, what, what's going on here? I'm trying to get close to you, but I can't. And so, as I mentioned before, fear of intimacy is something we all have, and we need to think about how it affects us, how strongly we have this fear of intimacy. It's not about not having it at all, but how much do I have that? How much of a risk does it feel like? How scary does it feel to me? Now, after the break, I'll talk some more about how we can think about ourselves as partners in preparing to be in a relationship, and also uh, another notion that it's not just about, okay, prepare yourself fully and then one day you're 100% ready and you go out there and date. 
you might have to do those two things at the same time, but I'll talk a bit more about those after the break. We'll be right back. back so before the break i was talking about it is valentine's day around the corner and of course a lot of feelings come up for lots of people people in relationships might wonder what to do and feel that anxiety but then sometimes for single people they might feel um, unhappy or upset about being alone or might give them lots of feelings but i was talking about preparing ourselves for a relationship and how oftentimes we just think it's about finding the person but we don't think about ourselves and how we want to develop ourselves. So um, mentioned some things about looking at our past, understanding our own issues, things that we saw in our own family and how they can affect how we look at love and relationships. And then um, focused also on the fear of intimacy, which I think we all have to different degrees, but it's about understanding how much and how that might show up for us. And so then there's other things we can do. I, of course, think everyone should go to therapy. I think it's a great way of understanding yourself better, um, to know who you are more. It's not going to solve your problems for you, but knowing that can help you both understand yourself better, but then also know what you want and what you're looking for and to create a better relationship. So you can do that um, as well. Now, what you also want to do is, if you have dated and been in relationships, look at the pattern of relationships. Uh, very often people will say things like, oh, I'm just so unlucky with men or women. I've had all these jerks or all these this or all that. And there's going to be some luck involved. Of course, you're not fully controlling everything. But we do have to think about if there are patterns in our relationships, patterns in the people we are with, that it doesn't have to do with luck. Something more is going on if you're having a similar pattern. If you end up being with people that all have a drinking problem, okay, something's going on. If you happen to be with people that all tend to be very controlling, um, something's going on. And don't just say, oh, all women are controlling or all men are this or all women are that. You're likely choosing people that have those characteristics. And this is where it does go back to trying to understand your past. Very often we choose people who have the bad qualities of our parents, which sounds like just a horrible joke, but it really is true. You see that happens so much because one, it feels familiar and feels like home to us. And so something about that draws us and makes us feel um, comfortable. And also two, we have some unfinished business there and sometimes we're trying to solve it now with this partner, this new player in the drama. So you have, um, let's say, the controlling mom, and now you want to be with a controlling woman to this time overpower her or overcome it. You don't realize it going in, but there could be this unconscious drive and pull towards that person. So you have to take a very close look at who have I dated, how have my relationships gone, and where is that coming from for me, and what does that reflect about me? Don't just think of it as luck or things that happen or all men suck or all women suck. Think about what's going on here. How is that happening? And it's not about blaming you if you're unhappy about your love life. If anything, it's actually empowering you to make you realize you've had a lot more control and power over what's happened and you have 
control and power over what does happen going forward. You have a say in who you are drawn to and who you attract and what kind of relationships you create. And so related to that, if you find a pattern, I tend to find men that are this way, women that are that way. You want to be aware that when you find yourself attracted to someone new, you have to almost convince yourself that they don't have those qualities, those bad qualities that those previous people had, because it does seem like you're attracted to certain types of people or certain type of person that you want to be aware that this person is not like that. So you have to think about that. Okay. If I go for the controlling woman, does this person have that aspect? If I go for the guys that are like this, where does that person have it? And it's not always going to be so clear because on first dates, people are showing us their best sides and sometimes they won't show us those other aspects that maybe will come out later on, but it's something just to keep an eye on. I know I'm drawn to certain types of things. Let me be just aware of that uh, as I'm getting to know this person, that they don't have those qualities. Sometimes what makes us so attracted to someone is actually the bad things that we're not aware of. It's bringing up stuff from our past. It's so exciting. It's so intriguing because it's something unhealthy, something not good. Even some people will advocate that you don't go for the person that you are head over heels for from the beginning. You want someone who you are getting attracted to more small steps piece by piece than the person that you feel like you are just drawn to in some ways. Sometimes that's actually coming from a bad place, not a good place. So we want to think about these things. Hopefully you go to therapy, read the books, look at your own past history, um, look at your own relationship and dating history to see the patterns that are there. And then you also want to think about what you want based on First of all, what are you looking for? Marriage, kids, those types of things, those uh, life type of goals and decisions, but also as far as what kind of partner you want to think about those things. And this is again, where the people you've dated can help because from our past relationships, sometimes people will talk about them as a waste of time. Um, like I can't believe I wasted this many years on that person or this person. First of all, you probably were a lot more involved in that waste happening. You were seeing it happen and maybe stayed in longer for whatever reasons, but also you hopefully will be learning a lot from them. What do you like about the person you're with? Even if it didn't work out, you might say, oh, it didn't work out because of this and this, but I actually really liked that he did that or he was this way, or that I really like she was had this characteristic. That's something I want in my partner. So you see the things that you want and also the things you don't want, and this can help you get a better sense of what kind of partner you are looking for. And be clear about that from the beginning, because sometimes people know the things that are, for example, deal breakers for them, but they don't want to think about them too much. And then they start dating and then the person has deal breakers and they don't want to acknowledge it and they go forward anyway, and they get themselves in trouble. So you got to think about what are the things that you can and cannot accept. And if this person has something or something about their past, something about their life now, something about whatever it is that you can't accept, don't even start that relationship. Don't get you and that person into the trouble of getting close and connected when you know there isn't that future. And ding, 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 we were talking before about fear of intimacy. There might be a reason why you're doing this. You might want it to have an expiration date because that'll make you feel safer that you know it's going to end. So you have to know what you're looking for, what you want, and you have to find someone that aligns with that first has those characteristics you're looking for. And then also when it comes to what you want for your life, wants the same things. Um, two big ones are getting married and having kids. You want to make sure you're on the same page. And so 
people will date and sometimes they'll talk about these things, but they won't take them seriously. Again, they, they ignore the red flags. They really want to get married. They go on a few dates. They talk about what the person is looking for and they say, I never want to get married. And they think, oh, I'm going to change their mind after we date for a while. And then they get themselves and the other person in some deep trouble later on where the person has told you what they want, but because you didn't want to believe it, you're now creating a lot of drama for both of you that you have to deal with later on. So listen to what people are telling you. Sometimes we don't want to accept it. Sometimes we think people say things and we're going to change their mind, but take people for what they say. You have to want someone who wants the same things. And very often people get into these relationships and they say, oh, I love everything about him, but this, and so I can maybe still be with him even still, or I love everything about her, but if it wasn't for this part, I could be with her. And you can't change those things. What you need to do is find someone that is that way. And from the beginning, start it that way and not think, oh, it's just my luck. It's like, no, there's someone else out there and we have to have that hope. Now, I also wanted to talk a few minutes about the dating process or even getting started. Um, there's lots of ways to meet people. And a very common one or one that's gaining much more steam now is online dating or really it's like app dating um, where people are meeting each other online. I'm um, very much pro online dating. By that, I mean, to me, it's not even online dating. To me, it's online meeting and then you date in person. So essentially what these apps and websites are doing is expanding the pool of people you can be exposed to. And I think that's actually very good. Um, sometimes people will say things like it's not natural or it's not organic, but then, I mean, I don't know, meeting someone at a bar or randomly, is that somehow more natural or good or, uh, you know, something more pure? I don't know if it really is. To me, I think we uh, should take away the stigma of online dating, which thankfully has reduced a lot, even just in, in recent years. Many years ago, it was much more frowned upon or people would think you're desperate if you're doing online dating. But this has changed over the years, as we know people from all type of walks of life, age, ranges, um, every kind of thing you can imagine are doing online dating. They're out there. So there's nothing to be embarrassed about to be online. I still meet people who have embarrassments or say, no, I don't want to be online or I don't want people to see that I'm online. Um, first of all, as I just mentioned, basically anyone you can think of from every type of profession to whatever it is you're thinking about is online. And also if someone sees you online, they're there too. So really what can they say if they're also on the website or on the app themselves? So there's not really much for us to be worried about. Um, the only thing I uh, get concerned with or think can be I, I caution about is some people they connect online and they keep it online so they'll match and then they'll just text each other for like a month and it'll just be text and I think that's always a bad idea uh, I'm very much in favor of seeing each other pretty soon after you match or however you connect and uh, I always think it should be a pretty short get together whether it's coffee or drinks or whatever is comfortable for you, but something where there's not a big time commitment involved because you just want to see if there's a connection, if there is that attraction. Um, first of all, the pictures, sometimes they're not a great uh, indication of what the person actually looks like now and the age or other things might not be exactly accurate either, which I talked about on a recent show. So it's just good to see each other anyway, even if the pictures are accurate to see how you feel in the presence of one another. The relationship has to happen obviously in person. So you have to 
give it that chance to connect in person and see if there's that attraction. So don't just text for a long time. People do this. Um, it's kind of like a fear of intimacy, but also the anxiety of meeting or talking on the phone even. It's a lot safer to keep it on text, but safe is not good as it is the case in a lot of things. It's not going to allow you to really see what's going on and really you're using it just as a crutch to just have someone to be connected to on some level, but really you're not getting to know them. And so what sometimes people experience is they text for a long time and they're texting all day to each other, but they don't really talk or see each other and they really feel like they know each other very well. Because when you text with someone all day long, it's almost like you're with each other in some way. Oh, I'm doing this now, I'm doing that now, here's a picture of this, here's a picture of that. You feel very connected, but you really aren't being connected. And so people can experience this very weird feeling after they've texted with someone for a long time and now they finally meet face to face and they have this realization of, I don't know this person at all. I felt like I'm so connected to them, but I don't really know them. So avoid that pitfall, which is very common, especially in younger generations, but anyone could fall victim to it, of just texting for weeks and even months sometimes without meeting someone. It's a very dangerous way to get to know someone and creates a false feeling of intimacy and connection that's not really there. Just take the step and say, hey, let's, you know, I think it'd be good to see each other, to see, um, you know, see how things go. And then you'll know you see each other sometimes it doesn't work out and that's fine at least now you know and you can move forward but you don't spend that time trying to get to know each other and really it's not the best way but don't be afraid to put yourself out there in whatever way you can to meet someone that part's not going to be important what's going to be important is how you are together and the relationship you create together let's go to our last commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 we'll be right back Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the Hello. air. Hello. 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 Yes, hi. Thanks Good for calling. Good afternoon, Dr. Farid Howard. Okay. Good. We're, we're, oh, your oh, voice oh. is breaking up a little bit, the sound. I Hopefully it's okay, maybe it's the service. I'm, uh, I think there's no, not much Wi-Fi here, but if, if you tell me, Adam, the... You hear me now? Yeah, it's a little bit choppy. Let's, let, I guess, go ahead and ask your question. Let's see how it goes. Okay. I have, uh, I was listening to your talk today, and exactly that's the problem I have. I have a relationship issue with my partner that before we get together, we met on the internet, and one of the sites, two years, because of the distance, we were talking and texting, but after two years, met. I usually want to meet as soon as I can, but it mm -hmm. wasn't possible. Okay. Anyway, then later I find out she didn't tell me anything that she had other sexual activity because she believes that it's okay. She's a free person, and because she's free, she could do whatever she does. And mm -hmm. they have a lot of arguments regarding that it's not right. If you are committed to someone, then you have to just you know, leave everything back. You have to delete the pictures, you have to delete the texts or emails or voices. She keeps everything, everything, everything that she had connection or sexual activity with the guys. And usually those guys are half of her. She's around seven years, but most of the time, um, the guys that is with, they have mothers. And I told her that they are sick too because they, have, they want somebody like their mother. So, by the way, the phone, you know, it is breaking up a lot. I'm getting a sense of what you're saying, uh, although I, some of the details I, I would want to know more. It, it's still, 
A little bit better, yeah. But you're dating someone you said for two years was just calling and texting because of the distance, and you said yeah. there was no choice. Um, but then this person, you know, you're saying you felt... The, the question I also wanted to ask is, were you guys... Did you have a talk to her about being in a committed relationship? Yeah, yeah, because the, the, on, the, on the website, on her profile, said that looking for a relationship. No, I know, but did you talk to her early on and say, okay, we are exclusive and in a committed relationship with yeah, each other? Yeah. And she yeah. said yes. But, yeah, because, yeah, because of the, the reason that, uh, because of society, what she had, she lies about it. Lies okay yeah so that's some so that's something what what she's doing it does seem from what you're telling me you guys said you were committed and then she was being with other people yeah okay now but now let me hold on let me ask you what do you think about that i don't think i don't think it's okay i listen to your father all the time right i read the books about that yeah i have a lot of knowledge about that Okay, the knowledge is good. The knowledge is good, but the action is going to be more important than the knowledge, or the the action has to happen to make the knowledge worth something. So, what do you want to do now? If you're telling November, last year, November, I suggested you go to a counselor. I went to a counselor, but because he died a lot, created the situation that the counselor said, I'm not going to have a couple to have you guys that are coming one by one. Okay. And I'm not agreeing with that too because I don't know what happens. I don't know what says to them and how she describes this situation. But anyway, since the last November, she stopped. She's now committed to me. But we are still have arguments because she believes that, okay, send them a text or call them or say happy birthday or how was your thanksgiving, you know, well being, and that. And I told her, it doesn't work. I told her, According to what I hear, you know, everywhere here, there, the book. Well, and not, and actually, let me also stop you there. I know you're saying everything I hear and in the books, which are important, but also what's very important is what you feel. If you don't like something, you don't like something, and you share that with her, and that yeah. should be enough for her, not that, okay, well, some expert or here's a book on it. If you're saying you feel something, that should be very important. The thing is, what I'm hearing from you is, you don't trust her. She still does things you don't like. The relationship yes. started in a very bad way if there was all this, yes. uh, you know, cheating and, and all that. Yes. But you're still staying yes. in the relationship. Why are you staying in the relationship? Because she is since November said that she stopped it. I know, but that's uh, but but not but not having an affair is not uh, a reason to be with someone. That's like a bare minimum, of course. But it doesn't mean because someone is faithful that we that that's enough reason to stay with them. Especially when a lot of times, what what you've described, a lot of damage has been done to the relationship yeah. and to you. Yeah. Are you guys in the same city now, or it's still long distance? No, no, we are in the same city. Okay. Uh, most of the time, we are together. We go places, mm-hmm. go events, and music, and you know, shopping and stuff like that. Okay. But the point that that bothers me, it doesn't accept that when. You are in committed relationship, then you have to attend that. You brought a good point that if you have different people, then you don't give the full love to that person. You don't let that person uh, get the full uh, to get the full time. To, uh, yeah. That's 
I know that's the thing, and the the sound is still coming very choppy, so I might cut you off more because I think people won't be able to hear you much anyway. Um, but that's the thing I keep hearing is you're saying you're unhappy. She doesn't do what you like. She doesn't do what you want. She does things you don't like, but you keep staying in this. I, I my first thought is that because of how things got built up being apart and online and talking, you fell in love with her, but you really didn't know what you had or you didn't really know her. And I don't think yeah. you want to lose that image of what you had created of her. And it's yeah. almost like you want her to, no, no, be that thing you were in my mind where you were faithful and connected and loving and all these things. But she seems to be showing you that she's not those things. And maybe that image yeah. you had was, it seems like it was never fully real. Yes, you're right. And, and that's the part that I'm hearing is, you're right, what she's doing uh, doesn't seem okay at all, but you at accepting all. it is on you. So yes, she, yes. someone could come tell you, hey, I want you to work for me and I'm going to pay you $1 an hour. It's up to you to say that's not enough, so I'm not going to come. Now, you can't keep working there for 20 years and say, they pay me $1 an hour. Can you believe it? It's your choice to leave. So, yes, we, we went to the counselor. The counselor first they asked is, why you come here? Yeah. And said we're going to improve the relation, so we're going to work on that. But I told her today, as much as I put time and energy to make this relationship work, you don't care. You, know, you don't care about it. Prove it. You do think she's doing better things right now, but she's not doing what you do. I separate water. Yeah, and that's. I mean, but I, I think at some level you're accepting what she's giving you as enough or or you yeah. deserve it or you are being the victim in this relationship and somehow there's something about that comfortable um i don't know what I'm it is exactly I, my phone i think siri is trying to talk to us um yes. sorry that was my phone <laughs> um, yeah, I know. um so okay, let me ask you this yes you, your office i know you are in westwood area uh, i'm long but anyway your office accepts a couple uh, couple tracks. I myself do see couples, um, but there's lots of therapists here, yeah, that do. And if you want, after, you know, you can hold on and we can give you the number. But while I'm still talking to you, I do want you to, you know, you're talking about seeing couples, but I really feel so strongly like you're in a relationship where um, you aren't happy, but yeah. you're, you're, you're almost telling, it's like this feeling like you can't go. Very often in our lives, especially in relationships, we put ourselves in a jail. And we're sitting in the yeah. jail and we say it's so bad to be in the jail. But then we realize that the door of the jail is open. We can walk out. But we right. stay in that jail and we're looking out and thinking, oh, it's so unfair. I'm suffering. But you can walk out of that jail anytime. You have the power and the option. But yeah. something is keeping you in. And that's something deeper for you to understand. Is it you don't think you deserve better? Is it you are afraid you won't find anything else? Is there other things going on? But something is keeping you in this unhappy relationship and in a way that you talk about it as if you don't have a choice to leave. Because she said that she's willing to change, but the change is very slow because she still believes what she believed before. And I told her, when you believe in something, you don't want to change your belief, then you're not going to act according. You know? And that is true. That's but true. She, we gave it six months. We gave it six months that if you can see works, it doesn't work. I told her that, you know, I have to, the idea to get separated, but it yeah. doesn't work. 
Well, that yeah, I mean, you're, the way you're describing it, she, yeah, she believes different things from you. She doesn't think what she's doing is even wrong to begin with, so she's yeah. not going to change it, and that's no, up I'm, to her. So she's she's allowed to believe what she wants, um, but you're the one who has to take care of yourself and say, okay, if yeah. she's not, we're not compatible, then I can't let myself keep getting hurt and not have the expectation that she's going to change. I think a little of what I'm hearing from you from the way it started, the two years not seeing each other, and even the way you're still talking is that it's a little bit in more fantasy than reality. That there isn't yeah, this... You get different images when you don't see the person. Exactly. I but I think you're yeah. still not, you know, she's, you know, like she's telling you I'm this and you're saying, no, you're actually what I imagined you two years ago. But she's showing yeah. you over and over again, this is who I am. Yeah. But you're, it seems like you are refusing to accept it, to let go of that dream, that good feeling you had when you uh, fell in love with that image of her. And this is what I was talking about before and why uh, texting only or not seeing each other can be so dangerous as people feel like they're very in love because you don't have to face a lot of things. First of all, you don't see what's really there. And a lot of the conflicts that arise in a relationship don't come up when you're far away. So it's very easy to idealize someone even further than we usually do in a relationship. And I think still you don't want to break that idealization. She is this thing. You guys have this beautiful love. If only she would become like she was before. But that before was never even really real. I got to the point that I told her it looks like with the symptoms that you have, it looks like that you are a kind of sex. Because that's what is important for her. Just the sexual activity. You know, but she doesn't believe on that, and she denies it, and she doesn't know. But I was hearing Dr. Fields, you know, Dr. Fields' father, yourself, and I, I'm, I'm sure that she has a kind of addiction. She cannot cut. Maybe, but here's the but thing, you know, what I'm hearing from you over and over is trying to prove that she's wrong, and maybe she is. But even yeah. if she is, then you have to decide what to do. Okay, let's say okay. she's a sex addict, who has wrong views about relationships, who thinks that you can have multiple partners, what do you want to do about that? It seems like you're saying what I want to do is wait for her to go through all this therapy and change and totally become a different person, which is back to the person I remember her as in my head, and yeah. then we can have this beautiful love together. But to me, it sounds like, again, even that's partially fantasy. You want her to change in a way that she doesn't even accept as a problem to begin with, um, and just try to convince her, and maybe even you want me now to say she has these problems to convince her further, but it seems like you're trying to convince her to become something you want rather than leaving the relationship and eventually finding someone who is what you want, because I don't think it's yes. going to be her. Yes, I, I told her that at the end of February, I'm going to make a decision, and if you're not, if you're not going to be satisfied, not happy, not happy. Yeah. I want to out of but, yeah, but I, I really want you to think about a few things. One is a few times the way you talked about things was in the knowledge and, you know, it wasn't really based in the reality of the interaction. And two, something about not, ex I don't know, not wanting enough for your, not wanting enough, feeling like you deserve more. Something about wanting to prove that she's wrong and you're right. Somehow that gives you something. There's yeah. something in the dynamics of the relationship that's keeping you in it. But it doesn't seem like it's the goodness of the relationship from what you're telling me. And that's what I think is good for you that you're saying couples therapy. I'd say go to your own therapy to work on this, to try to understand what's keeping me in this unhappy relationship for so yeah. long where it sounds like you're suffering, but you also won't walk away. 
Yeah, that's that's true. That looks like I'm suffering. Actually, I'm suffering. Yeah. And even the counselor mentioned that 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 you have choices that doesn't work. You know, you get out of it before you suffer more than what you suffer now. Yeah, so I, I think you. It's so tough because you built something up so much in your head. You don't want to lose that, which I I know that can be tough. But we have to face the reality because the relationship obviously has to be in the reality, exactly. not in your fantasy. And so, if it's not going to be that, I hope you'll realize that take better care of yourself i am uh, at the end of today's show so i do have to wrap up but i hope you'll take care of yourself in this it seems like you're wanting to prove that she's so wrong but i'd say make sure you're right in what you do to yourself she's not going to take care of you you have to take care of yourself let me ask you the last question okay is that if i want to go back to this here listen to your uh, talk uh, because i tried a couple of times i couldn't get your they say something Am I to listen to the show? So the shows, I have a SoundCloud page, Dr. Fadi Hulakwi, and then also on iTunes, it's a podcast in session with Dr. Fadi Hulakwi. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, nice talking to you. Take care. Have a good Okay, bye-bye. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to Ghazala here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Hulakwi. Have a wonderful day. 